This whole journey that I'd gone on from being this really struggling entrepreneur, like fighting so many battles, working all the time. When I started learning about team building and structuring companies and, and running big companies, what happened for me was like a whole new life unlocked. Even though I was on a very, very successful career path running really large companies, the thing that was tugging at my heart was like, how many people are stuck where I was back then? How many people are entrepreneurs that don't know the path, that don't know what tactically to do, that, that haven't learned how to structure a company, that hasn't learned how to hire amazing people and, and really lead them and empower them? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm here in Tahoe at the 2023 GoBundance Winter Mastermind, and my guest today is the former CEO of GoBundance, founder of Bergflow, amazing entrepreneur, Dirk Van Rena, man. Welcome. Yeah, Jamie, I'm excited to be here, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And we just started talking a little bit about, about uh, leadership. We're going to dive into that, uh, you know, where, where culture is going and companies, that sort of thing. But yeah. Bergflow, give me a little background, a little backstory on you so everybody gets caught up on, on your story quick. Yeah, I mean, like the, the short version, I'm an immigrant from South Africa. So at age uh, 14, my family immigrated to the U.S. Um, my parents lost any and all wealth that they had during that transition. So we kind of ended here. We didn't have much. We moved to actually a, a small farming community called Kroll, Texas. And I just, from age 14, I had to start working after school, weekends, summers, all that kind of stuff. So I built a good work ethic and then uh, went to went to college at West Texas A&M and uh, I, I just always loved business from the time I was a kid. My dad was an entrepreneur in South Africa, so I knew I wanted to go that journey. Mm. And um, so fast forward a couple of years, uh, while I'm in college, I'm working two jobs, one at an auction company. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, uh, <laughs> the other one at a ski shop. Oh, so, look at you. And today yeah, you all done it up. Yeah. yeah, I just got off the slopes. <laughs> and uh, so kind of fast forward a little while, and uh, the owner approaches me one day and he says, hey do you want to buy the company? Because I'd become a manager at the, at the ski shop. And I was like, you know, I'm like 20 years old at this point. And I was about to turn 21. I was like, absolutely. Oh, wow. No question. No question. You know, like, uh, you know, I, at, at that age, like that's, I wanted to be a business owner so bad. So I ignored a lot of red flags, just jumped in. I just wanted to be the owner, right? Yeah. So he owner financed 100% of the deal. He made it really easy for me to get in. And so throughout my 20s, uh, I was a business owner, did a lot of skiing and snowboarding and, um, about four years into the journey, I decide I'm going to like really go to the next level with this thing, like l take an, a bigger lease space, like just mm. premium location, opening all this other summer line, like tripled the, the size of our, you know, retail floor, all this kind of stuff. And I mean, at this point, I'm like 24 years old, right? And then after that, uh, you know, I just didn't make the right decisions and really like increased overhead and like you know like quadrupled overhead but sales only doubled right so it's not a it's not a good equation so right right, right. uh so during during that period i mean like it was just like a hard three or four years to the point that in 2008 the business failed mm. and you know and during that time I'd, I'd met my my wife in college so we married my college sweetheart uh we had our first son jackson during that time so for the next four or five years i was like in this position i was three hundred thousand dollars in debt had nothing really to show for it. We lived in a, in a trailer house outside of Canyon, Texas. I was working six, seven days a week, just nonstop. And uh, I kind of went into the service world. So like, remember the auction company I was talking about? Um, I, I called the guy up one day and I said, hey, my ski shop's not doing well, it's gonna fail. You know? And he said, oh, we're working on some stuff. He said, come work for me. So I went to work for him and uh, started learning real estate auctions. And that's how I ended up with Keller Williams down the road bit. I just went through like a four or five year period where I was just grinding away, man. And like during that time, I wasn't home much to support Kristen. I didn't see my son a lot at that time, but I was still, I wanted to be so successful. Like I wanted to be the guy that could make money and be successful in business and be seen in that way. And like everything I try to do is portray that. But like there was just so much on the inner world that wasn't right. And so going, going forward, uh, I actually built a couple of companies and actually built and sold a company during that time, but it was just my life was a wreck. And I, uh, I actually realized one day that, look, the, the only way to do this is like I got to learn some things. Like I'm missing information. There's something I'm missing. And the other, the other realization is I, I need to build a team. I can't do this alone. So around 20, mid-2012, my entire world started changing and I started studying 
lead generation, personal development, and team building. And I studied that nonstop for over three years. And that's the point I joined Keller Williams. I built a successful real estate team. I became a CEO in one of their brokerages. Um, and just went on this journey. We went to Houston. We got relocated to Columbia, Maryland. And I ran one of the top Keller Williams offices worldwide. I mean, no you know, shit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were doing $800 million in sales there in a year, 500 agents. That, did you meet Pat then? Did you know Pat then? You know, I was kind of in Pat's world. Like, and, and during that same time, 2016 is when I joined GoBundance. Like, this event, 2016, was my first GoBundance event. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got in the door because my take home was over 250. Yeah. But, dude, my net worth back then, I was still paying off debt and everything. Like, I mean, it was probably maybe like five, 600,000, right? Um, but that's kind of when I started kind of meeting Pat. Like, I, I kind of knew of him in the real estate world. Um, and but never really kind of connected with him and you know i think pat was also dude he was a lot more hard-nosed back then than oh, he yeah. is today you can you know? see it right so he, he was uh he never kind of struck me as a dude that i really wanted to get to know back sure. then you know and as i've gotten to know pat over the last you know five six years dude like i've just like come to love that man like he's just he's an amazing like father is your dad yeah. still around he is yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. is your dad's way softer now like oh, the way he I was just kids? I was just telling Matt O'Neill that yeah. like growing up, dude. Like my dad was hardcore. I me, mean, we had a business relationship. Like oh wow, it didn't that feel like we had a we had, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. growing up in South Africa, I mean, like um, dude, it was it, like very very strict, very very hardcore, very just. I mean, just hammer, hammer, hammer. You know, and now you know, like people meet my dad now, and you know, and they'll be like your dad's the nicest guy. And I'm like, yeah, I've been hearing that about the last 10 years. So he's gone through a huge transformation. With my too. kids, I see it. Yeah. Like me growing up, it was like, step outside the line, go get me the belt. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now, if I even like raise my voice to my sons, mm-hmm. ah, come on, leave them alone. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I thought he'd be back to like, yeah, get him, you know, yeah. tell the kid. But they just soften as they get They do, yeah. We're going to get to Berkeley. I want to okay. stop at 2016 for a minute. We'll come yeah. back to that. A couple things I want to clean up. One is uh, your dad, entrepreneur in South Africa. Mm-hmm. How? What was he doing? And why the move? Why? Why the need to immigrate, or why the desire to immigrate to the U.S.? Yeah. So, my family in South Africa comes from a long line uh, of like farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, a long line. And so that's kind of what we did growing up. Uh, I grew up out on a farm in South Africa. And what age? I was there until we were 14. Okay. So yeah. we, we had kind of moving like, you know, closer to town during that time too. And, uh, but in South Africa, you know, you, like I went to boarding school like from age seven. Mm. So, you know, it's like, hey, from that age, I mean, I wasn't with my parents during the week. They'd pick me up on Friday afternoons, Monday mornings, you get dropped back off. I mean, it was just very, like if you lived out of town, like that was just kind of the culture, right? So, um, but he had, uh, so farming and ranching was kind of his main business. And then um, he had a couple of other businesses that he had like, at one point he launched a propane, you know, company and, um, so just kind of different type stuff, right? So I, I, I kind of got the, the entrepreneurial spirit of you can have an idea mm. and, you know, learn about the idea and then turn it into a business. And, you know, during our time in South Africa, I mean, we had a, a, a like an upward trajectory, you know, I mean, like starting off, I think when we were kids, like my parents tell me a lot of stories now, you know, having a lot of struggles and uncertainty and not knowing like, you know, if they can pay the bills and this kind of stuff. And by the time we left South Africa, we were probably like upper middle class. Like we we lived in a really amazing house, beautiful, beautiful area, uh, you know, multiple ranches, things like that. Um, And, you know, my parents gave all of that up for us to come to America. Like during that transition, they lost all of their wealth. Like he had $500 of cash by the time we landed in Dallas, Texas in, in 1996. But I think, uh, you know, he had the foresight. He traveled when he was younger. So when he was right out of high school, he went to Europe for a year mm. and uh, worked and traveled. And it's, and it's very common in, in a lot of um, cities, like countries worldwide, that you, you kind of take a sabbatical between things, right? And in the U.S., I think it's been very common to, you graduate high school, you go to college, right from college you start working, right? And a lot of places you would actually take a year off after high school. Then you'd go to university, and after university, sometimes you would take a year off before you kind of really go into your career. So he had he made a big trip to Europe, and then he made a big trip to the U.S., you know, when he was about probably like 23 or 24. Um, so he always loved America. And, and one thing that people don't realize in America is that, I can't say for, for everybody all over the place, but I think for the most part, like, no matter where you are in the world, like, America is that place that you look at, and you're like, I want to be there. Yeah. I'm I mean, there's that now. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's why immigrants come to yeah. 
the U.S. is that you just associate America as the land of opportunity, the place that you can build a dream. You know, it's it's Hollywood, right? I mean, it's just, and and I think like that's sadly something that a lot of Americans forget. You know, I hear that. No yeah, I hear that all the time, and people bitching about you know, what's going on here in the economy and the government. And, and every time I just like, dude, like pack your suitcase and take a trip somewhere the around con- the world. They need expanded context. Yeah. And that's not vilifying anybody, but they just haven't had that. And we've all right. been there, right? But I see it now. There's a lady, I talk about this on my on my, my feed all the time, but there's a lady that cleans our house for 500 bucks a, a month, right? Yeah. 500 bucks a month. She And that's, we're overpaying according to our neighbors. Right. She's has two kids and she's like, is there a way that I can come back with you when you move back to the States? She's yeah. willing in the short term to not be around her kids for a year or two mm-hmm. to get, you know, established residency and everything else because she sees for her yeah. kids, maybe like your dad, the opportunity. So you're right. Like it, it was like, wow, I can't imagine leaving my kids behind. Thank mm-hmm. God I don't have to because I come from, I was yeah. on the birth lottery. So I get you, but I'm sorry, continue. Well, well that's exactly it. So, um, you know, things were changing pretty, pretty rapidly in South Africa in the, in the mid nineties. And I think my dad just kind of had the foresight to see that Long term, my kids, the biggest opportunities they will have will not be in South Africa. It'll be in America. Yeah. And they they gave up everything that they worked for. It, you know, the interesting thing is that I'm probably about the age now that my dad was when they made that decision, right? Yeah. And so more and more, it's it's just impactful to me when I think about that sacrifice and what they gave up. Because, I mean, they, they both gave up a lot to work. I mean, just... Did you know it at the time? Could you tell at 14 that... Like you just said, they they gave up all their wealth. Was that a conscious observation or? or no, I mean, well, I think you understand the situation because obviously, when we got to America, like you know, we're not living in a five thousand square foot house in a beautiful. Right. You know, I mean, like we're living with another family for the six months. Like we lived with another family because we couldn't afford to do anything. And as my dad was working and my mom got a job and, you know, she had always been like a stay at home mom, you know, so she started working for the first time in her life. You know, she would have never had to work another day in her life really in South Africa and. You know, she gave that up to, uh, you know, for our family. And so very quickly, I mean, it went from, I realized very, very quickly, if I want something, I'm going to have to work and go get it. Like, in that moment, like, when I saw what happened, like, the thought of ever having an inheritance just, like, left me. Like, I was like, I, I can never count on anything being handed to me. And if I want something, I need to go get it. Mm. So I started working, um, I mean, just like, I was working at, at, at restaurants in this little town, like little town, like 1200 people, right? There's not like a lot of opportunity or jobs and stuff. Uh, I would wash dishes. I would, I would spray weeds like around like a different like businesses. And I I worked at like a, a grain elevator after school and I would farm and ranch and just like whatever to accumulate money. And you know, like, uh, I remember the first thing I ever bought in America with my own money at 14 years old was a shotgun. When I found out you can go to Walmart and buy a shotgun. (laughs) Why? Why a shotgun? (laughs) I just wanted to own a firearm, you know, it's like, uh, it's a very South African thing that's like, you know, you know, you, you know, it, it just is, but, uh, you know, so that, that kind of framework, um, you know, we left there and, and a lot of people thought that we were crazy because I mean, we were very, very on the front line of leaving South Africa, you know, and, you know, over the, over the last 25, 30 years now, I mean, a, a massive population has left South Africa. And, and Why don't I know that? Like, I feel like Johannesburg and Cape Town, they're known as sort of like, you know, the places you go visit. People yeah. want to go see this. But what, what is it? Like, I'm thinking Mandela, he brought things back, right? Like, that's the narrative for, an, for a, a lack of context American. Like, Yes. Like, so, so there, there's, uh, and I mean, like, here, here's one thing. Like, I, um, yeah, I don't want to go deep into this conversation, right? So... But one thing is the what's happening in South Africa and what people know about South Africa are very, very different things. Like yeah. so, like I would encourage anybody like really dig in and learn about what's happening in South Africa because it's not what people are being told and it's not it's not what people think. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So so now uh, the business that you bought and fa- and it failed eventually the mm-hmm. uh, the the ski shop. Yeah. There's sort of a question before the question, but would it have been inevitable that it was going to fail because of 08 or was the, in other words, like was it already going to go down? Did if you look back, now, yeah. was 08 taking it out no matter what you did or did it just get accelerated because of the the risk you took? Well, here's the interesting thing, right? For for several years that my reasoning was, and, and during that time too, so. Um, Six oh six seven eight. During that time, there was a really big drought that hit the Southwest. So, 
when when you hit a lot of drought, there's not a lot of snow on the slopes. A lot of people, you know, when it's 70 degrees in, in February, people aren't going skiing. So that happened. And I also, when I expanded my shop, I went into more water sports, like wakeboarding, stuff like that. So for me, like, you know, my shop failed because the economy, yeah, right, and the weather. Mm. And then in 2012, for the first time, I was, uh, I was, like brave enough to admit my shop failed because of the decisions I made yeah. and did not make and the actions I took and did not take. And that was it. That was the only reason. So what did you learn from that? Like this, you tried to scale. A lot of entrepreneurs want to scale. It's not, it's not like such a crazy idea that, Hey, you're, you're doing what you're doing and you want to build on that. So yeah. what would you take away? Two, three lessons, whatever it might be. Like you say you failed right. it was because of you that it failed other than just the obvious, like you said, you doubled uh, you only doubled uh, revenue and you quadrupled your expenses. Right. What'd you learn? <laughs> I learned a lot. Um, I don't know that I'll ever do anything in retail again. Retail is a tough space, yes. right? Especially small retail. Yeah. Um, one thing I, uh, that, that was a big lesson is one, watch your overhead when you're in business. Mm. Going too big into overhead is, is probably one of the biggest killers in business because when you, when you are burning cash, um, it makes everything harder, you know, and, and this like fast forward, like I'm, I'm in a business now that's, that's burning a lot of cash. Right. So the, the, the marriage project, but so I learned like watch over. The second thing I learned was when, when I thought about like these other things that I wanted to do, like what, what other lines should I bring in? Cause like when you own a, uh, and for us, it was more like high end specialty stuff. Right. So it wasn't, we weren't competing with like Academy sports or, or Walmart or like, you know, those kind of retailers, like it was more specialty. When you bring in even one product line, you know, it's like even if, if I wanted, you know, 15 wakeboards, yeah. I got to go buy $80,000 worth of other gear and accessories just to support that, right? So I went out and I made these, these decisions and I'd been doing well in my business. So my banker had a lot of trust with me. And I mean, he's just like, here you, go. you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a lot of credit here. And we had good relationships with other vendors. And I mean, like, so we took on a ton of debt during that time for the expansion. And I made decisions. I was like, this is what I think is cool. And this is what I think is going to work. Oh, interesting. I yeah. didn't do any market research. Yeah. None. If I would have, I would have just gone skateboards and bicycles. Mm. Right? That works really well. You, you look at a lot of, like, especially sports shops. Sports shops yeah, yeah, or sports shops. shops right. yeah. In the summertime, it's bicycles and, like, skate stuff. Mm. Right? Hiking and maybe stuff like that. But um, So I didn't do that. And, and the other thing that I realized is that I bought a business that was very kind of status quo. And there were areas that I wanted to innovate in, but I left a lot of the status quo stuff status quo. What do you mean by that? Like things that example. were, yeah. yeah, things that were working kind of fine, like our rental program or our repair program. It's like those things were kind of working for a long time. I didn't try to go in and kind of really look at, okay, how can we do this better? How can we maximize what we have before we just gotcha. try to add something new? Makes sense. Right. So, and... It, it really taught me to kind of hone in on what's working and what's not working. And if it's not working, do you need to keep it? Do you need to do something different? But when something's working, also looking at it and saying, like, why is this working? And is it always, is this going to be as good as it can work? Or can we really improve this before you go and try to, like, add something new or change something else? Yeah. The, I think the, the last thing I learned was that, you know, every day that we have decisions to make, and we can either get up and kind of just go in. Like, I knew my business was failing. Like, you know, it's like success and failure are gradual and then sudden. Yeah. Right? That's fair. Yeah. So I had been failing for three years. Right? But my landlord showed up on one day and locked me out of my own business. That was a tough day. Wow. I'd been failing for years without really just understanding that I need to go to work every day and make decisions to move this thing forward. And I think a lot of people get complacent with what they do mm. and when they get complacent they may get bored or whatever the case may be but they they just start living the status quo and they don't realize that today i can make a decision in this moment to do something even if it's really small that's just going to be a plus sign and if i do that if i add more plus signs than minus signs i'm going to be going the right direction but that means a lot of times when you're status quo you think you're adding plus signs but you're actually adding Minuses, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it gave me a lot of context of like I could be really purposeful. And of course, when when the, when the business failed. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. That's landing with me right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you want to? No, 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 no. no. Keep, okay. keep going. I want to hear the rest of this. Yeah. 
So when that, when that failed, one promise that I had made my wife when we met was for her, we were both raised by uh, stay-at-home moms, right? Both our, both our dads worked stay-at-home moms. So that was actually important to both of us. We, we both wanted that for our kids. Yeah. I probably would have been open to not having it that way if that's the way it was. Mm. But like she really wanted it that way. Like she said, look, this is really important to me. And so I made her a promise. I said, listen, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you at home. Like the, the day that, that our first child is born, my promise to you is that if you, if you so choose, you never have to work another day in your life. Yeah. You know? So when the business failed, and, and, and all of this happened around the same time, like business failing, having a kid, all this kind of stuff. When that happened, and, and, and did, we bought this trailer house back then. Talk about, I made every bad financial decision in my 20s that you could possibly make, right? We lived in this trailer house. We should, never should have even qualified for it. I think we got like a $160,000 loan. Like, you mean a trailer, like, a, like an RV? No, like a mobile home. A like mobile a home, house. okay, yeah. yeah mobile yeah. home, yeah. And um, so I think we went to like get qualified. This is like 07. Yeah. We went to get, get qualified. Now, my business is already tanking at this point. We get, and, and she was a, a dental assistant. And we're like pre-qualified for like 120. Mm. So like it, this thing that we wanted to do wasn't going to work. We need like 165,000. So they call us back like two days later. They're like, oh, you guys are qualified for 165,000. Mm. You know, like it, it was like during that time, like if you could like fog a mirror, they'd yeah, give you a home yeah, no, loan, right? I remember, yeah. Absolutely. So we were like weighing over our heads, right? So now I lose the business. We got this house. Kristen's home. You know, we got Jackson and everything. And, and like the thing that I have to decide is like, okay, what am I going to do to honor my commitment to my wife mm. and allow her to do what is most important to her? Mm. And I'm, I'm really blessed to be married to somebody that for her, money is not important. Like for her, things are not important. Yeah. You know, she is, if, if it was, there's no way that we'd still be married. So I was blessed with somebody that had an incredibly strong value around being a wife and being a, an amazing mother. And she is just like an incredible mom. Like when, when people meet our kids, like they're always blown away with like how confident our kids are. And like they, I mean, if they were here, they would like be talking to everybody and just hanging out. Like they're extremely confident. And I'm just like, it's not me. Like yeah. some people are like, oh, it's because you're an entrepreneur and you do all these things and you do. And I'm like, no, it is because of Kristen. Yeah. Um, but so for me back then, I was just like, look, I am willing to do whatever it takes. And, and like the only thing that I knew is working hard. I went back to my work ethic from being a farmer and a rancher and just sheer grit, working hard. Go. Yeah. So I did that for like four years, man. And I mean, like our marriage was falling apart. I was going to ask you yeah. that. that was, I wrote that down. Wife, so you said, so this is, like, uh, place the time frame. It's around 2012, right? Oh, no, I'm sorry, 2008 when it, when it all Yeah, like from, from 2008, like mid-2008 to like mid-2012, like that four-year stretch was yeah. hell on earth for you me. You said you went at it. Now, your wife is at home, so it sounds like, oh, okay, I'm the wife. I understand he needs to go out and work, but right. every wife, mine, yours, yeah. every wife demands your presence. Right. And they should, right? Yeah. The, version of your, the version of you that your wife wants you to be is frustrating as fuck to get to. Mm -hmm. But when you look at like the resume of that guy that she wants, it's like, actually, I'd it's a pretty cool guy. I do want to be that guy, but I don't like being, you know, questioned along the way to get there. That's our problem. You know yeah. what I mean? Like my wife's like, why do you have to do that? And you're like, I got to pay the bills. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to provide for this family. What was that like in that time? Which it sounds like she was not completely understanding. Like, no, like go do your thing. She was actually like, what? like, like one thing, one thing that that's been really impressive to me about my relationship with, with Kristen is that we both, going in understood what was really important to the other person. Like she, like I understood that she wanted to be a stay at home mom. Like that was most important to her. Yeah. She knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and a business person. So where was the rub? The rub was like, I did not, one, I was never around to support her. And when I was around, I didn't support her. Go on that one a little bit deeper. I get not being around. Yeah. I mean, it's just around. like, I was working so much and I was so, because like, you know, the crazy thing, like during this time, dude, for four years, we got foreclosure notices in the mail all the time. Yeah. Like we were on the brink of foreclosure, like constantly. And uh, I can tell you some just crazy, like, okay, I'll tell you a story. Like, can I give you, I, I was driving this Chevy Blazer. Yeah. Okay. And this is like this is like going into like 2011, like beginning of 2012, right? Where 
the transmission screwed up on the thing. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a running an auction company at this time, and I'm also selling real estate. So I'm, I'm a realtor, right? So picture that. Mm-hmm. My transmission screws up, and I have like first gear and third gear on an automatic. Okay, so no second gear, <laughs> no overdrive. Yeah, yeah. What gear did I not mention? Uh, reverse. Reverse. You don't even have reverse? I drove a vehicle for six weeks, showing houses, driving around town without reverse. Neutral and roll back? What'd you do? Push? Dude, there were times... Like, I remember one time, I pulled up in front of the Association of Realtors because I was in a hurry, and I needed to grab a lockbox, and I parked right in front of the office as the meeting was coming out, all the realtors coming out. I had to put that thing in neutral and push it out. Oh, my God. You know? So, like, that's that's, that's where I was for four years, yeah. right? And, dude, I was just trying to survive. And, like, the only thing that I wanted to do is, like, I wanted to not lose our house and allow Kristen to stay at home with Jackson. Like, that was just, like, the driving force. But in my quest for that, like, I lost sight of, like, I am still a husband and a father. You know, like, my my drive to provide for our family, like, overshadowed everything else in my life. Mm. And, I mean, there, there was actually a week where, like, we kind of hit this crescendo where I moved out, and we separated for a week. And like it was like this is it we're getting divorced this is like mid 2011, and uh, luckily I mean we we got back together I mean like we've always been able to make it through you know the struggles together you know and we actually two weeks ago we hit our 16th wedding anniversary but 21 years together congrats man you know and so you know after like four years of just this this hell like I just like had this like epiphany moment where like w- like a certified letter got delivered to our house finally like in 2012 and it was this was like dude we are selling your house at the courthouse like i was four months behind on our mortgage rate and i just realized like okay there's no way that i can work harder than i am right now so i'm missing something yeah i'm and i looked around i saw successful people and i didn't have a lot of successful people in my life right i i, I now i i like through selling real estate i'd met some like successful clients that i sold their houses for and um and you know, some of them were like inviting me to like kind of hang out with them a little bit and stuff like that. So I started kind of like getting like, you know, wow, like there's really successful people. Like, but why am I not like that? You know, and so I went through a lot of like just questioning things. And uh, then like mid 2012, did it just like changed? And I said I was just fed up of not being able to do things for my family, not being around my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like go time for me. And it's like another. That's when the gear kicked in. And I was like, I'm going to study lead generation to learn how to make more money. I'm going to study building a team to learn how to leverage my time so I can spend time with my family. And like, I realized like I have to grow, like it's, it's me that has to grow. So, uh, and, and from there, like 2012, uh, to like 2016 and just 180 Mm. in my life, just 180, you know? And then by 2016, I'm in the room with GoBundance here. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a really, that was a really like defining time in my life. Do you lose track of being present at that level ever since then? Do you, in other words, are you, has that shifted to where like, you know, you have, you, you don't get so out of balance with being present with your family now, or does it still happen? N- not anything at that level. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and that doesn't mean, mean that, you know, like we, we took on a really big project uh, about 18 months ago. So really for the last like 18 months, I mean, I'm just not coming out of that. You know, we built, we took on a big project, built a team and now the team's running the business. So we're, we're, we kind of moved away from there. And, um, but even during that time, like working a lot, like spending time with my family is just such a priority now. And, uh, you know, we homeschool now, so I, we are around each other a lot. So, but, uh, but there's also a danger in just being around each other and not being intentional around each other, you know? So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I just made it, you know, this is, this is like when, like our, our daughter was born, um, you know, in, in kind of mid 2012. So she was, she was born right around this time that like things started changing. So her first like four years of being alive were very different than Jackson's, you know? Yeah. And I remember one time she was like two years old and she did something and it was just like so damn cute. I can't remember what she did, but it, like Kristen's sitting next to me and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that is so cute. I don't remember Jackson doing that. Yeah. And dude, without like flint, I mean like it just came out of her mouth. She said, that's because you were never around. Yeah. My wife said the same thing to me recently. And uh, dude, like it, like in that moment, like it, it was such a gut punch. Like I can, I can still like feel that moment of just being like, man, like I just failed so much. And you know, that's one of the things today that, uh, 
you know, there is a, like a, a level of like concern and, and for me, like, man, like, am I doing enough to be the best dad that I can? And, yeah. and, and that's why I appreciate GoBundant so much. Cause like, I mean, dude, this whole week, like I haven't, I mean, uh, we had a really great business, you know, discussion with a couple of guys about like uh, acquiring companies last night. But besides that, man, like all my conversations have been 100%. personal. Same. And that's what, I, honestly, I'm getting that from this week. It's, it's funny. There's a guy here, I don't throw his name out there, but Chad, his name is Chad. But um, I don't know if you know him or not, but he's a, he's a champion member. He's been around a year. I've known him a little bit. We've you know texted back and forth. Um, and he, he sought me out. He was like, hey, man, I wanted to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, what, what's going on? So he moved his family to Maui, an island, yeah. years ago. Um, I'm obviously doing the same right now. I'm about halfway through our first year. We don't know if it'll be a second year, but mm-hmm. I say halfway through. And he, his question was like, are you, he, well, he told his story, which was, we moved to this island, and then I had all this worry about making sure that, you know, this move is supported financially. So I just right. went at it. Like, and, he, and it was like, everything he was saying was hitting with me. Man, yeah, I'd go to the beach, but bring the phone, they're in the water, I'm on the shore. Like, yeah, you guys go, and I would catch up with something mm-hmm. like, God damn. Yeah, like sideline dad, right? No shit. Yeah, and yeah. that's been me to some extent, yeah. if I'm being honest, right? So it's only in the last couple of weeks where this this is all coming home to roost for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, who am I really? And even I went through this exercise in this mastermind that I did re- last week in, 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 uh, in the DR. Uh, I went through the exercise, my own exercise that I did with these members that came, right? And it was like, it culminated in, you know, it's the end of your life, what do you see? And, and, and no shit, it was like, I see my wife and my kids. So it's like, well, fuck, when do you align with that then? Mm-hmm. Now, as opposed to significance or being on stage with Tom Billy or all that shit, right? Like, when do you align with that? Because end of life, at least for me, and you tell me, like, I think, oh, 80, 90. Mm-hmm. But what if it's 46? Yeah. What if it's next week? What if it's five years? What if it's 53, right? You know, God forbid something happens. So it's not like I have time to figure out how to align with the end of life version of me that fully prioritizes my wife and kids. That was, it's a, it was instinctual. I didn't have to think about it. That's what I want to see at the end of my life. Not my one sheet, mm-hmm. not you, no offense, not anything else, right? Like I want to see my wife and my kids. Right. So all the shit I do now is it aligned with that end of life guy. And so I've been literally experiencing in the last couple of days, this identity shift that actually, I'll be completely honest with you, not because of this event, not because of GoBundance, but because the amount of time and energy I put into going here, going there, doing this, doing that, is making me feel bad for even being here. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And it's not yeah. because of guilt, like, oh, my wife wouldn't, li-. and she's fine, it's not her, but like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're it's missing, identity, it's a shift. You're missing your family, like, you, you want, like, I want, yeah. You know, I think, like, that's a hard thing when, I think people, a lot of people in life, like, have moments like that. Yeah. And, and whether it's, like, around being a spouse or a better parent, or getting healthy, or building wealth, or whatever it is. And I mean, you talk about this a lot, like in, in like leaving your W-2, right? Yeah. And like building up that courage to like chase your dream, right? Yep. But I think in humans, we, we innately want things, and then I, I believe like innately we are called to things. And we have to pay attention to that. And I think the saddest thing is when, when we know... I need to do this. I'm called to do this. I'm, I'm called to be a better parent and spend time with my kids and be present with them. And we have that thought and like, it, it's a good thought, but then we, when we're present with them, then we're distracted again and we're doing something else. And we're like in that moment, we can take that opportunity to be what we're called to be. Mm. And then yet we're distracted with something else. Right. And I think like, that's what really leads to regret in life. It's, it's not like, Oh, well maybe I should have done this whole other thing that I never thought about or knew about. I don't think it's that. It's like, did I do the thing that I knew that I needed to do and that I was called to? Mm. I think that's what leads to the regret is saying no to that every day. Oh, you're absolutely right. That is the W-2 thing. And you know what's funny is, and not to vilify the W-2 or the job or whatever, like you were a, you've been an entrepreneur all your life, right? I'm like a late stage entrepreneur, if you will. Like we're about the same age. I think I'm a couple years older than you, but the, uh, you know, my mine came like late 30s, right? Yeah. Before I was like, actually, I want, I want to jump into something different, you know, whatever it might be. But what's crazy to me is, you know, you spend 21 years in a career and you spent 13 years in school. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of people, I just saw this, man. I just saw this with 15 of them, at, of the 16, because one of them quit his job um, at this event that I just had. The thought is for some reason, like, okay, now I got to figure out the next thing I'm going to do yeah. for, you know, a, a long time. And what I'm learning from this is I left the job. That was like a big move. It was an identity shift that led me to that move. But now... The, 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 the speed at which my identity is shifting again, mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, it feels like you've got to have this, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. 
for the next 20 years because I've done that for 20 years and I was in school for 13 years before that. But being called to be a better parent, it, yeah, it's just a more rapid change in my identity than I anticipated. I thought my identity shifted when I left W2 to entrepreneur and then mm -hmm. there we go. That's going to be my identity forever. But over the two years I've been out, there's probably been small shifts, small shifts. And now there's no, another big shift where I feel like that time in the W2 at the end of it where like something's misaligned here and I got I got a course correct. It just happened way faster now being on my own, in my own, you know, whatever than it did in a job. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because I, th I think once you say yes to something that, that you're called to do and that you know, like, because you talk about this, like you knew mm. that you, you wanted to do this. For, I mean, you and I had conversations when you were still at W2, right? Any. I mean, like that's when I was still the CEO of GoBundance. Yeah. And... It's one of these, once you're, you say yes to something that you're called to and you take that leap of faith, like, I believe that you kind of like enter this new stage of life where you just have more available to you. Mm. And as you start going down that path and you learn and you grow and you connect with different people and more like-minded people, the learnings are accelerated. So I think we go through like these iterations of learning faster. And that's where, you know, I mean, we, we're around some pretty phenomenal people and go abundance, right? People that just do things that just make you go, oh my gosh, like I'm a loser, you know? Like, <laughs> But it's like, every day. I think it's being in those kind of environments and being around, like I know that for me, go abundance, and, and, and this is why Kristen has zero issues with me ever going to go abundance type events because yeah. she knows Dirk's going to come back home and he's going to be more intentional about being a dad and being a husband. How do you maintain it after that though? That's the hard thing. What like, do you do though? Do you do anything? I think for me, it's like, um, or do you try? More, maybe, do you try to do anything? Is maybe the better question. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly aligning myself with people that I respect more and more in, not necessarily how much money they make or things like that, but like how, how well they're doing at being a husband and a father. Mm. So like more and more, my alignment, my conversations, the, the the people that I'm spending time with, are people that I know that are like really working on their marriages, their marriages are a priority to them. Because I don't want to say like their marriages are easy. Like that's bullshit. Like there's no easy marriages out there. Like if you're in, if you're in it for long enough, I think for most people, um, you know, David Osborne says the same thing. He's like, look, my, my marriage is like one of the toughest things that I've ever had to do. Yeah. And I can relate to that. 100%. Right? So. Greatest and toughest. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I think like that's the learning. Mm. You know, that's the learning. It's like having kids and and having kids being in a in a marriage for a long time there's no way that that works at a fulfilled level unless you transform as a human being you can't be you know i've 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 got friends that are bachelors right like yeah. lifelong bachelors no kids no long term relationships they're amazing people but like they're assholes to hang out with <laughs> right because they want everything their way all the time you know it's like uh, and i love them so i'm not saying like there's anything bad with that but like it's interesting yeah you know they they've never had to go like you you know when when you're single and you don't you know you don't have a, any like strong committed relationships like you're just like look I'm not going to do that right yeah. you can't tell like a two year old like I'm not going to change your poopy diaper right, right now right, it's right. like you know or like you you're excited to do something and they come in and interrupt it and it's just like it's a learning cycle right and it, and it's it, you stop being selfish and you stop being more attentive to like other people right and I think like that's what's hard with business right is like I mean we're driven guys, we yeah. want to succeed. We want to make an impact in the world. We want to do all these things. And so sometimes it's kind of like when you're super excited about that and like all of a sudden your kids want to just go play, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, like I just don't want to like go do that right now. Like I just want to chill or rest. And guys that I'm having conversations with now are like, that's not good enough, Dirk. I know. Like right? you were never too tired to play with your kids. Go yeah. play with your kids, you know. And so like having those kind of things in my head help me to make better decisions. Remember, it's all about the decisions that you make every day. Every day. I love like that with point. My, with, my, with my ski shop. Today, I've got a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to be present? And am, I, am I going to listen to my wife? Am I going to be attentive with my kids? Am I, you know, because there, there's a difference between just like spending time with, hey, how's your day, blah, 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 versus like really being intentional. And like one thing that lately we've been doing, we just moved to a new neighborhood in Fort Worth. Um, is I'm going on more walks with my daughter. She's nine now. And like, I love the time that we spent together walking because like we're walking. She's, she's just such an amazing little human and it allows me to be present with her and I'm not messing with my phone and I'm asking her great questions and we're laughing together and like, and, and 
you know, same with my son. Like, it's just like being... Make me want to run home right now. <laughs> no, me too, man. And like, the, and, I, and, I, and that's the thing is, I think just being around, it's, it's no different than being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Like, you could have the best intention about being a great entrepreneur and like you start doing it and you're like, what am I doing? Mm. But like when you're around people and you learn and you practice and, and, and it's just, I think that's the journey of it. And like, I think it's a, it is an identity shift of like, you know, I, I still want to crush in business and, I, and I've got really, really, you know, a big vision for what we're doing. But like more and more, it's like, man, I, I want to be known as like a great husband and a great dad. Like I want I want to be known for that. And like this week I'm hanging out with Matt O'Neill a lot. We're rooming together at this event and dude, like we've been waking up at like five o'clock in the morning and having like two, three hour discussions around this kind of stuff. And like, I'm just so blessed that you know, like I felt like God just kind of, we weren't supposed to room together. We just happened to room together. And I felt like it was just like ordained by God that we're going to spend time this week and like talking about so, so many things. And it's just like, it's causing it to be on my mind. It's causing it to be on my heart. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that I do that, the more when I make those decisions right now, when I, I got something to do or I'm tired in that moment, because it's it's been on my heart, I can say, no, like right now, the most important thing I can do is go hang out with my nine-year-old and let's play. You know, and, and I think, you know, what Dr. Kelly said this week um, about that, that inner child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that I've started telling people about spending time with their kids is like, dude, kids play. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, you want to do all this other stuff with them that's not play because play requires full engagement. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Anything you do when you're playing, you're fully engaged and fully immersed and you're having fun. Mm -hmm. If you can learn how to do that with your kids, and I think at, at any level, like even if you have teenagers or even grown kids, like if you want to build relationship, play, like have fun, laugh, you know, because I mean, the opposite of that is that you're probably not having a good time. You're not engaged. You're, you're just there. And that adds zero depth to the relationship. Yeah. I love that, man. You're, as you're talking through that, I'm thinking for myself to the point of uh, like, you know, you're having these conversations with Matt. It keeps you up. It makes you know if you were to be if you if you were to be able to map action you would be taking if you didn't have you know this sort of event or these mm -hmm. sorts of people around you from time to time like it might be like you might be zero for seven on days of the week that mm -hmm. you show up the way you really want to show up but just by having these conversations with these guys here you know you might go two or three for seven right it's going to just keep you up even if it's like right after this you might go seven for seven but then yeah. it, it wanes and then but still you're going to go two or three for seven. But something I'm working on, as, as you were talking about it, it made me think, like, what am I doing about it? It's, I think I'm working on becoming a better receiver. Mm. So Chad, talking to him, as we finished our conversation, and he gave me great insights. He, he was telling me the story of landing uh, in, uh, in Hawaii, where he moved to, and he remembers the image. They rented, like, a, a Jeep of his kid standing up in the back of the Jeep, like, when they landed. And now the image he has of it going, looking back after they left was, I worked too much, mm. right? But he said, what can I do for you? And usually I'd be like, no, man, I'm good, right? But being a better receiver was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to receive that. Check in with me. Yeah. Text me. Hit me up. If you're just thinking about me, I pop up. You see me on a podcast, whatever, like, hey, man, I see you on the podcast. Still spending time with the kids? Mm. You know, something. Just do that. Just because I think that's, the, that's what we, the value of this is, right? You have a pod. You have these other guys that, yeah. that are willing to, even in a small way like that, a text every six days or whatever, hold you accountable to it. That's what I need to do is really just be a better receiver from my pod, from guys like this, guys like you that check in knowing what my priority is and are invested in it, you know? Well, David said something last night that was so good and, and I reflected on it multiple times. He said, we move in the direction of our intentions. Yeah. And so the thing about it is that intention comes from, you can't be intentional about something if it's not on your mind, if you haven't been thinking about it, if it's not important to you, right? Your intentions are something that naturally comes from the way that you are, the way that you think. And I think like things like setting goals like help direct our intention, mm -hmm. helps direct our focus. So anything that you can do to be more intentional, like like for us, you know, mixed tiles. You know what that is? Mixed tiles? Yeah. No. So the, the, they're like these square things, like these little square uh, photos. And there's oh, a, there's okay. an, like an app you get, and you you just take all these pictures from your phone. And you just like send it over and then they ship you this box. And you can get like boxes of 20 or 30. They're like eight or 10 bucks a, a, a picture. Mm. But they're, they're probably like a 10 by 10. They look, you know, pretty nice. But one thing that I started doing is um, I, I found this like two or three years ago. 
and I'll just go through my phone and pick like 30 or 40 pictures that tug at my heart and I'll just like send them to mixed style. They send them to me and even though like, you know, my wife's like, oh, we don't want to decorate a whole house of mixed styles, dude. I put these things up everywhere. Oh, you do? I you put them in the closet and have them for later, but. Dude, I, I, I <laughs> have like in hallways, like where you, like anywhere, like I try to put them everywhere all over our house because, and they're all just these, they're not like professionally photographed. They're like, some of these are actually blurry pictures. Like they're not the best pictures, but they're moments that I celebrate life. They're, and, and like 95% of these pictures are me with one of my kids, me with both of them, Kristen and I together, our whole family together. And they're just everywhere and it's like us doing stuff. Mm. So for me, like that's being intentional. Like even now, it's just like I can see all, like, all these, these images because I look at them every day. It's like a vision board, right? Yeah. So um, it, it's about the intention and, and we'll go in the direction of our intentions. I'm curious on this. Your wife, why doesn't she want them up? No, no, like she loves them. She okay. just doesn't want them up everywhere. Like if it was up to me, I'd have like 500 of these in our house, right? So yeah. I was going to ask, like, are you violating her desires with, with overriding with your own? No, no, no. It is purely like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, hey, I actually want my house decorated pretty. Like I don't want just like a bunch of like random pictures that are blurry and whatnot. So Too funny. All right. Yeah. We only got a few minutes. So I want to advance this a little bit because I want to get into leadership and Bergflow. First, what is Bergflow? So Bergflow is a company that I started in 2017. So I, I founded the company and essentially this whole journey that I'd gone on from being this really struggling entrepreneur, like fighting so many battles, working all the time. When I started learning about team building and structuring companies and, and running big companies, what, what happened for me was like a whole new life unlocked. And uh, even though I was on a very, very successful career path running really large companies, the thing that was tugging at my heart was like, how many people are stuck where I was back then? Mm. How many people are entrepreneurs that don't know the path, that don't know to, what tactically to do, that, that haven't unlocked that personal learning, that haven't learned how to structure a company, that haven't, hasn't learned how to hire amazing people and, and really lead them and empower them? And so I started a company. I said, this is what my calling is. Like, I want to teach you know business owners and entrepreneurs how to, the, the things that are calling them, the things that are important to them, the things they're working on, how to grow that and take it to the next level and also how to start being, you know, living the life that you want to live while that's happening. I mean, I, I know there's so many people out there that are building businesses and they got amazing businesses, but those businesses own their soul. Yeah, sure. And they get divorces over them. They have heart attacks over them. They never see their kids over them. So, like our mission is that we want to empower these people that are, that are doing these things and help them understand, okay, how do, you, how do you structure this business? Like how do you hire great people and really pour into them and, and hire people to where they love what they do, right? So, because I mean, the, the, the truth is, I know like you're, you're real big on like quit your W-2 and go do, do something, but that's also like a very certain percentage of people. Like sure. the statistics show that that's like 10% of the population or less. Yep. There are people that they want to take over the world, but they want to do it with a team, yep. right? And like that's what the, what we focus on is how do you go hire those people? And one thing I've learned is like I don't actually hire entrepreneurs that want to go take over the world anymore. Like I'd, I'd hired a lot of them. What I hire now is like I hire people that want to go take over the world, but they want to do it as a team. They want to be part of somebody doing it, and they are like fully committed to it, yeah. you know, and – so what we do in Bergflow is we help companies like build amazing teams, help them structure, help them really find the right people for the right position with the right motivation. And then really just start working on that culture of like, hey, you are here not for a job, you're here for a mission. We're doing important work together. And if it doesn't resonate with you, you shouldn't work here. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of the, the journey that we've been on. And, you know, that's, the you know, a couple of things. So one, I love what you said about like, like you said, I say quit your W2. And something I've learned is, you know, like there's the packaging mm -hmm. and then there's what's in the package. Right. So yeah, like the message is quit your W2. But what you said resonates because if you, if you listen to what I'm talking about, it's not, hey, no one should have a job. Mm -hmm. It's, are you unfulfilled? Yeah. Then it's quit. Now, the marketing is pivoting to entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. Midlife entrepreneur, that's my whole thing. Yeah. But I talk to a lot of people who say, well, I, I don't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur. Like, well, what do you want to do? And like, there's jobs. There's positions out there in mm -hmm. companies, with business, with organizations mm -hmm. that are fulfilling, yeah. right? Go do that. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's what happens after people unwrap the packaging of like, hey, here's my marketing. Yeah. I just, I've learned that um, 
um, and you watch it like on news channels, like you need to take a stand. You need to just like be right. in a position in order to even attract the attention and then you can, you know, you can kind mm-hmm. of work with the person after. But to your point about hiring great teams and being in a great organization, Nick and I were talking about this before. Um, I think this is a Gary Keller thing of like, you have to expand your vision for other visions, others' visions to fit within that, right? That's the, that's the role of, of the business owner, the entrepreneur in that regard, right? Like have a big enough vision where somebody else can fit their vision within that. But what I see, and you tell me what you think, and I think about my corporate career and how most large companies, I don't think are equipped yet to do this. We've, we've sort of vilified Gen X, vilified the millennial as lazy, selfish, doesn't want to work hard, all of that stuff. But I think the, the new leadership, and you're in this, so I could be completely off, so I want to hear your opinion on this. The new leadership uh, paradigm is not, hey, this is what we are. Here's my vision. Not only, I should say. This is what we are. Here's our vision. And then let's have a discussion via interview or whatever, a process for you to, to figure out if you fit that vision and if it works for you. Mm-hmm. I feel like yes, but I think the, the new paradigm is organization needs to first understand vision, like real vision of mm-hmm. candidate, yeah. and be all in on that. Mm-hmm. So I want to know your vision board yeah. as the person hiring. And then mm-hmm. can I do, it's almost like, it almost becomes irrelevant whether or not my vision fits yours at that point, to an right. extent, because I'm all in on your vision. So I think that leadership shift mm-hmm. is, is, it's the difference between people saying like, there's no talent out there anymore. And like, oh my God, why is all the talent going there? Because this organization fully embraces I just, I want to see what you want. The company gets what it wants. The organization gets what it wants. If I'm all in on you, how am I off on? Is that, is that the new level of leadership or am I being too pious? No, I, I think you're spot on, right? <laughs> I, I think the, the old paradigm is, and, and it's been around a long time and it, it needed to be broken was that, Hey, you're coming here to do things to help this company be successful. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the first thing about vision is that we find, I found a lot of people they have a vision in their head and it's compelling and they're working towards it, but they aren't clear about what it is. And they certainly, if, if your own vision isn't clear to you, like how the hell are you going to help explain it to anybody else? Mm. You have to get really, and I know like people say this all the time, but it's like, it's ethereal. And, and I've just seen this. We work with enough entrepreneurs where they think their vision's clear. And then we actually go in and interview their teams. Mm. Everybody has a different story. You have to get clear. You got to be able to make your organization and your team really clear about it. Wow, and then when you are really clear about your vision and then you're understanding like the structure, the technical structure of like where you need to go next and who you need to hire, when you're interviewing that candidate, when they're sitting across from you, you absolutely focus on them first and foremost. Like that's the methodology that we have, right? We don't actually talk about exactly what the position is or what the pay is or you know, exactly what skills are needed. I mean, like when we sit down with somebody and we feel like, look, this is somebody that we feel could be a fit for our organization, right? We're going to go through multiple levels of assessing, but throughout that whole time, the focus is on them. Mm. And I believe like so many companies are like, oh, well, we don't have time to do that. We don't have time to hire. Like we, you know, and the reason you don't have time is because you hire people that are not the right people for that position they quit, they don't do their work, they're unfulfilled, they're not bought in. So that's where your time is spent. You're inefficient, you're not making money, you're doing everything because you got people working for you that are not bought into who you are and what you're doing and they're not being fulfilled. So when you change your paradigm on this and say, look, we'll spend three, four, five interviews with somebody, two hours sometimes at, at, at a time, focusing on them. Mm. Tell me about this. Like, what do you see? Like, what's important to you? Like, let's, let's dive into, you know, what you've done. You know, let, let's go back to like you being like a kid. Like, what was important to you? Like, what was, your, what was childhood like? I mean, we spend so much time with people that um, the job and the pay become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Where, and, and we are going to exit them out of the process if we feel like we're not aligned with our vision, with our values, with our culture. Because the truth is, Jamie, like, think about it, dude. Like, there's some very, very successful people here. How many, how many people here do you think need people on their teams that are like rocket scientists? Meh. Yeah. None. Maybe like one or right. two if they're yeah. doing something none. like really big. I, I can't think of somebody specific that has that kind of business yeah. or whatever. Nobody. Yeah. Like Meh. none. Most of the companies here that make all of this money, yeah. you can go train somebody. Yeah. Right? People can, like, it happens all the time. I go to college to study this. I do something very different in my career. People change careers, right? So, 
for us, like people hammer skill and experience so much. Like for us, it's like, dude, like let's find out one, who is this person? What's important to them? Do we align at a foundational level? Yeah. Can we get to know them, you know, at a deep level through the interview process and see like really what that fit is? Because when you do find out what's important to somebody else and you can align the visions and say, listen, we're, I believe like there's really a good opportunity here because of who you are and what you want and who we are and where we're going. You can accomplish what you want and we can help you get there. Wow, man. And if you spent the time in doing that, then you can authentically do that. Now, here's the follow-up to that. You can't spit out that stuff as bullshit during the interview process. They show up at work and now you're like disengaged and like, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you, you, you know, it's like, oh, I need to be present with my kids. And then you get around your kids and you're like, I'm too busy, right? We do that all the time. We're like, oh, I'm going to hire great people. And then they show up in your business and you just don't, don't talk to them. You don't pour into them. And the truth is that most people don't know how to do that, right? right? So, and this is why it's such a process, man. It's like always you, you have to learn, you have to grow, you have to study leadership. You got to hire great people. You got to pour into them. And the biggest, the biggest dynamic that changed for me in leadership is I grew up with the paradigm of a leader that is the strong leader that knows everything, that tells everybody what to do, that like that just like that central figure, right? Sure. And when I try to be that leader, like my whole life, like it just like failed miserably. And what I've just learned is like, man, like I just need to hire really great people around me and I need to have care and candor for them, you know, because that's the other thing is we talked a little bit about this, you know, and I think you're going to talk to Tom about this tonight, but there's being accountable and having candor with people. And the only way that that works is if we show care. Mm. And then the flip side is like, because candor without care is dysfunctional. Mm. But care without candor is also dysfunctional. And there's some people like they're not willing to have the tough conversations. They're not willing to call somebody out when they're not doing their job and pulling their weight. And that's dysfunctional also. So like as a leader, you got to practice care and candor. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I love you, but I will drop the fucking hammer on your head. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to love you after that as well. Yeah. There's no judgment around that. Like, I love you and I, I, I want to be direct with you. Because here's the thing. If I know who you are and what you want and what's important to you, I can drop the hammer on you and love because it's about helping you get what you want. It's about helping you become the person that you want to be to be able to do the things with you and your family. Mm-hmm. And I'm committed to that. And as my paradigm has completely changed, in this, I mean, my entire world has changed. And the businesses that I have, the opportunities that I have, the teams that I have today that I work with, you know, and... So I'm just on this mission to do that same thing over and over and over with like companies out there and like teach them that there's a different way to do business mm-hmm. that you can't have it all. Man. You don't have to choose between your business and your family. What's crazy to me is you, you for I'm just personalizing this, you are the unsung hero in my story. You know, uh, the elders get the, 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 the pub abundance, like, oh, look at this guy. He kind of joins this group and blows up. But through that whole process, you were CEO at the time. Yeah, because I, I interviewed, like... I went through you what know. you just talked about. Yeah. I mean, it's like bringing the flashback. It was multiple times. It was a lot of discussion. And then I think your instinct was, hey, you know what? Um, you want to serve, meaning me. I think from getting to know you, this thing over here, which I, I was at a claims director, mm-hmm. and you saw through getting to know me in depth, talking, discussing, all of that. Hey, man, do you want to take on this opportunity? Because I think that's fitting of you. Build a course and a mastermind, which I've never done before, Mm -hmm. but you saw that alignment. You saw that that value alignment. That that was right when, you know, we were building and kind of like talking about Ascend and like after like all that, you know, and I told elders, I was like, dude, like, Jamie's your dude. Yeah. 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 And it's been incredible. So, man, thank you. I want to say thank you for you, like publicly, you know, and privately, of course. I hope I've said that enough to you before, but I really appreciate all that you've, uh, you've been in my life, what you've represented. So that, that uh, version of you that's there to serve who you've been is, Mm -hmm. that's me. I've been you, you know, I, uh, whatever you've been me, I should say. And that service has led to a whole new life for me. So I truly appreciate you, brother. Yeah, and I mean, just think about you doing that for other people, right? Yeah. The same thing. And, and so many times we just want to have that person in our company and we want to move forward. We don't want to spend the time with people because the truth is spending that time, like when, when you and I were going through that process, I was going through that process with five other people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And for me, it wasn't about like, well, who, who can I hire the fastest to be like in this position or whatever the case may be. It's like, look, I want to serve Go Abundance at a really high level as the CEO and transition out of that. And... You know, there's this other program that's going to be really impactful. And it's like, and at the same time, like every candidate that I spend time with is like, look, I want to get to know you and what's important to you. And if if I can be just part of like a, a little dial that like puts you in the right direction, like, and you get on a path that's going to be 
fulfilling. I mean, just look at how many lives you're changing now with what yeah. you're doing, right? Yeah. It's just like, if I can have just like a little bit of part to do with that, then I'm living my mission. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Amazing. How do folks find you? Website, social media handle, wherever you want to direct folks. Yeah, so um, bergflow.com, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W.com. Uh, that's the best place to kind of learn about a company, what we do. Um, you can catch me at Dirk Van Rienen. Um, you probably have that. That's a mouthful for people. But on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram. And, and also, if you want to see kind of our, our latest project that we're working on, we, we, we are building the largest adventure, outdoor adventure yeah. in the state of oh, Texas. Oh, we get to that. So, that's right. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. The, get real quick. What's the name of it? We'll give us a little Maris bit. Maris Adventure. Mar- spell that. M-E-R-U-S. Maris What does adventure. that mean? M-E-R-U-S. Okay. So uh, just real quick. Yeah. Um, so... You know, we have this adventure park, outdoor adventure park. Uh, we bought 6,000 acres, and we're, we're building this really cool concept. And Maris means pure or unadulterated in, in Latin. Hmm. So Maris Adventure is about, like, people and their families having, like, a really pure and unadulterated experience in nature. Mm-hmm. And, like, we are very much about having an incredible level of adventure, but also having deep connections. And, like, like our, our kind of thing is, like, Get to know yourself, get to know God, and get to really know the people around you, like your family, your friends. And it's about that connection. Like if you, like I believe if you can, you know, connect with yourself, connect with God, and connect with others, you're going to be on the right path, right? You're going to find the calling within your life, and you're going to be able to go in that direction. Amazing. Appreciate it. Well, is there a website for this yet or no? Maris Adventure? Yeah, yeah Maris, M-E-R-U-S, adventure.com, or at Maris Adventure on Insta. So. Appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, Always good connecting. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. It.